All right, so uh, here for another cutting room floor uh, on Sunday, talking through judges. There's this incidence where you have an angel speaking, and then it seems like Yahweh is speaking, and it's like, I, I think I even referenced it. This would be a good cutting room floor, <laughs> yeah. and here we are. There we go. So wanted to sort of just toss the ball your way. So there are these moments where it's clear there's like an angel or a messenger, mm-hmm. a being sent by God to communicate to humans. There's other instances where God himself clearly yeah. is you know, revealing himself to a human, and then there's other instances yeah. throughout the in the Torah and the Old Testament canon where it's like, it seems like there's this flipping back and forth yes. of an angel of the Lord, but then it seems like actually that's the Lord. Yes. Who's talking? Totally. Yeah. So as you kind of read through, and a lot of these passages we've already covered in our survey of the Old Testament. Yeah. So like Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, if you kind of pay attention to that narrative in Genesis 22, you'll read something like the angel of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord says this or does this. Yep. And then like a few sentences later, the Lord says this or mm. the Lord does this. Yahweh okay. says this. And so you, what you have is this figure, the angel of Yahweh or the messenger of the Lord, however you might want to translate that, in these narratives that are kind of right next to each other with Yahweh, the God of Israel himself, the Lord in our English okay. Bibles. And so kind of what happens in stories like Abraham and Isaac is an example, the story of Hagar just previously in Genesis mm. 16, the burning bush, Exodus 3, okay. uh, Balaam's donkey, that whole oh, incidence yeah. in Numbers 22. And most recently when we just went through Judges, Judges 6, okay. the story of Gideon. And there's yeah. other examples here um, in the Old Testament. But what you have is this similar pattern of you're reading the narrative. And if you're really paying attention to all the time that God speaks and the angel of the Lord speaks and how the character, the human character responds to that voice, whether it's the angel of the Lord or God, Yahweh himself. It's almost like the narrative is blurring this distinction between the angel of the Lord and Yahweh. Which is confusing when you're reading sometimes, especially, you know, a few thousand years later Mm -hmm. and you're like, so are they confused? Or is this intentional? Exactly, yeah. Like... What's going on? What's going on? Yeah. And so like, I think just real briefly in Judges 6, the example that we are kind of highlighting in light of just being in Judges yeah. is in chapter 6, verse 11, you have the description of now the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the terebinth at Orpha. And then it goes on, the angel of the Lord, verse 12, appeared to him, Gideon. Okay. And then the angel of the Lord says in that same verse, the Lord, Yahweh, is with you, O yeah. mighty man of valor. And then in verse 14, the text flips and goes, and Yahweh turned to him yeah. and said to Gideon, which just previously in the past verse, the angel of the Lord dis, uh, departs and is not with Gideon yeah. anymore. And so you're like, well, what is it? Is the is God there or not there? Yeah. And then the Lord's still there speaking. So yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. And so people begin to speculate, you know, because as the angel of the Lord vanishes later on, and God, again, Yahweh speaks again what are we dealing with here yeah. as far as is God more than one? Is is this, you know, some scholars would kind of pitch the idea that, you know, there's theories of how the Old Testament was hmm. designed or created, that okay. there's different sources and different yep. stories that are being kind of patchworked together, yep. kind of like a quilt almost. Sure. And so maybe we have evidence of, you know, source A and source B being merged together here. And there's... Which would be kind of interesting, yeah. like... You know, it seems like if someone's going to take, let's just sort of operate with that hypothesis. Mm-hmm. If someone's going to take source material, it's not like they're dumb enough yes. 
to be like, oops, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is who's speaking. And yes. now I've done it like seven different times. Exactly. So it sort of has this like, it feels a little absurd mm -hmm. that like we'd be like, oh, and they totally messed up. Missed. And especially like it'd be one thing if it was like this was the only instance, yeah. you know, judges six. Yeah. But there's multiple examples that I even mentioned here that are on our notes here. You, can, you know, if you're listening, you can check that out. It happens a bunch of times totally. in the Old Testament where this blurring of the angel yeah. of Yahweh and the Lord are just in the exact same story. So even let's just, you know, for a moment. Yeah, it's not like you're even flipping the page. Exactly. Yeah, you're in it's the like same paragraph. The same paragraph. <laughs> the same paragraph, right? <laughs> so it, it raises the question of, and I think just even for the sake of argument, I'm totally fine. This is maybe a whole other conversation of saying that there's different sources that these authors are kind of weaving together. I think that does nothing to, you know, a high view of the inspiration of scripture and how God is working sure. through human authors to ultimately design this text yeah. as we have it. Sort of the means of how the canon is formed. Exactly, yeah. Is different than saying the canon is not inspired or inerrant or For without sure. a flaw or whatever. Exactly, yeah. So regardless of how it these texts came about, um, I think it, it can be very plausible that there's existing sources and then merging them together. Yeah. I'm fine with that. That, okay. that doesn't derail inspiration or authority or anything, confidence in scripture yeah. at all. I think what it does point to, though, is that like you just mentioned, these authors aren't, you know, dumb and like, oh, I just made a mistake and yeah. we're just going to let all these confusing things be here. And, <laughs> you know, whoops, you know, I missed that, that major detail. And I think this gets to this point where these authors aren't lazy and they're not just blind to like what they're designing yeah, like and creating. can't find another papyrus. Exactly. Like, yeah. So not, I'm just going to yeah. sew it together and, you know, forget to hit the delete button or whatever. Yeah. I think there's something, and I'm not the only people way smarter than, than myself think this, that there's something intentional going on yeah. here where, yes, this narrative with Gideon in, in Judges 6 through 8 is obviously telling the story of how God is interacting with Gideon, sure. but it's also telling us something about who God is and the, yeah. and the nature of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So can I? So what you're saying is you think that actually these instances, one, are not nearer, Mm -hmm. Two, they're not haphazard, but yeah. three, they're actually revealing something about who God is. Exactly. Yeah. And I think okay. this is, and it's for us, maybe as like modern Western thinkers, we want bullet points and just tell me, you know, point A, point B about yeah. who God is. The Old Testament in particular is telling us a story yeah. and we learn about who God is through the narrative, primarily narrative yeah. and poetry of these stories that we have uh, in the Old Testament. So there's clues within the story, mm -hmm. baked into the story yes. that we're supposed to pick up on and say, oh, that's what that's pointing exactly, to. Exactly, yes. Okay. And what stories like Judges 6, and again, some of the examples, Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, Exodus 3, the burning bush, some of our two most famous stories in yeah. the Old Testament, plus Judges 6, and at least a half dozen, if not upwards of close to a dozen other stories in the Old Testament, have this going on here as a way of pointing to and highlighting and describing the nature of God, who is, yes, one. I think that's a very important thing to just yeah. have on the table. That ancient Israelites, the, the, the Jewish faith, if you will, Israel in particular, you know, they would declare and say the great Shema from Deuteronomy yeah. 6. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. You shall have no other. And then the Ten Commandments. God is the only God. Have yeah. no other gods. And so there's this, you know, very important thrust throughout the Israelite worldview of there being one God. Yeah. You know, the term that we might use now is monotheism. Yeah. And Christians would hold to that yeah. idea so of mono, who God, one. one theism, God. God, exactly. Yeah. So monotheism. Yeah. But then the question becomes, okay, so what is the nature of that monotheism? What is the nature mm. of that one God? Like how do we understand? How that? do we understand exactly that one God? And I think what the Old Testament in particular is giving us what Tim Mackey calls the mental shelf space for 
is a God who is one, being distinct from everything else. He only is the creator. Okay. God who is one, yet is also more than one. Hmm. So you can have these narratives, in particular like with the angel of, of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord, with the Lord just right next to each other, giving us this mental picture of a, of a being, the angel of the Lord, yeah. who is simultaneously in the narrative acting like God and, and is described as God, hmm. yet is also distinct from God. Hmm. If that, and it's a paradox. And I think if, if you kind of lean into that paradox, I yeah. think we're getting into the realm of what the Old Testament writers are trying to give yeah. a shelf space for. Which is interesting because I think sometimes when we think of the Bible, we think like there is no shelf space. Mm for plurality, like yes. Trinity, yes, in the oneness of God. And then we get the New Testament, and it's like, oh, they built the shelf yeah. then. Yeah, exactly, like, yes. you know what? I looked around the kitchen. Yeah. We're really missing shelf space. Totally. Let's put a shelf in. Exactly. And what you're saying is, no, 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 actually, that shelf space existed yes. even before the New Testament was written. Exactly, yes. So I think what Paul and Peter and these New Testament writers are doing is they're reading their Hebrew Bibles, they're reading the Old yeah. Testament, and they're picking up on this, that... God has always been one yet more than one. There's there has been this shelf space to use that language mm -hmm. of a being who is at one with God yet also distinct from God. And so what would they end up do? it just makes perfect sense for them when Jesus comes into the flesh and starts doing a bunch of this Yahweh stuff, yeah. stuff that only God can do. And they look back and they not only believe and trust the claims of Jesus himself, but actually just observe his life yeah. and see like here is a being who is, if you read the gospel of John, I only do what the father has told me to do. I do everything that pleases the father. Jesus is kind of advocating for this oneness with yeah, God. I am the father. Father are, are one. one. Exactly. Yeah. But he's also obviously very distinct from, mm -hmm. from God. He's praised to God. He prays yeah. to his father, so on and so forth. And so I think even like in the theology of the prologue of John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So you have a being, the word, who is distinct from God, being yeah. with God, but is also God at the same yeah. time. So you're kind of saying that these passages that we sort of, sort of skim over or get confused by are actually meant to be like sign markers mm -hmm. pointing towards the New Testament and saying... Yeah, the oneness of God is real, yes. but there's also shelf space yes. for the plurality of God, so that like it's baked into the story. It's baked into the story, yes. And I think we even from the very early chapters of the Book of Genesis into narratives like this with the Angel of Yahweh, the Old Testament is giving us this portrait of God, like we've been saying in these past few minutes, who is one and more than one. And the kind of the the one of the main theological point to hammer home is that things like the Trinity and the Incarnation and the divinity of Jesus doctrines that are central to the Christian faith are not just haphazard things that Paul and company are just making up on the fly. Yeah. They're reading their Old Testament in continuity with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, for sure. But it's within yeah. continuity, I yeah. think, is, is the main point. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a, a new construction exactly, project. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this also, you know, just even more broadly speaking, gives us just even more bedrock truth to, to understand and lean on the nature of God as being a relational being in and of himself, mm. you know, father, son, and spirit. You get all of this theology, rich theology in yeah. the gospel of John in particular of understanding when we talk about things like what first John says that God is love. That is a component, a major component of the relational being of God, God being love in and of himself. Yeah. And it's out of the outflow of that love, father, son, and spirit that we are invited to now participate mm 
in that yeah. that project of what God is doing in the world. Well, and then also in the early church, and particularly the early mm-hmm. church fathers, actually have comments on some of these exactly. passages as they look back on the Hebrew Bible. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So a lot, many of the early church fathers would uh, advocate for, or articulate a position, something to the effect of the angel of Yahweh in the Old Testament was in these moments like the story of Gideon. Uh, what we would call like pre-incarnate uh, visions or displays of Jesus in the Old Testament. So they're himself. actually looking back at these stories and say, oh, that was Jesus. That was Jesus, yes. And we don't necessarily get chapter and verse in the New Testament yeah. necessarily saying that. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're kind of just putting some of these puzzles and pieces together and yeah. seeing if we have a God who is one and more than one, and here is this this character, angel of, of the Lord, yeah. it it makes sense. I see why they would do that. Yeah. And I, I, I don't have a problem to disagree yeah. with that necessarily. We're not, well, there's no way to like prove exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm uh, kind of open-handed with yeah, that, yeah. Um, but I, I I see the logic and it makes okay. sense. Um, so maybe as we sort of as we look at these passages going forward as a body and as a people and as a church, what what we're maybe invited to say is to slow down and be like, oh, this is this is foreshadowing, mm-hmm, yeah, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit yeah. and the Father. And it's like, oh, there's yeah. a beauty in that symmetry yeah. and coherence. Exactly. And it's continuity. And it's, it's this, this story is continuing to move forward. Yeah. And we kind of await the person of Jesus cool. in particular. Thanks, man. Awesome.